This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 9, Episode 4, My Hometown, Auckland, New Zealand, talking with Michael Duggan. Today, we begin a new series called My Hometown, which will feature 10 cities from around the world viewed through the eyes of a local. To begin the series, we'll profile Auckland, New Zealand, as seen by Michael Duggan, a fourth-generation New Zealander and my distant cousin. By most measures, New Zealand ranks among the most desirable countries in the world to live. But first, a geography lesson. New Zealand is located in the South Pacific Ocean, 6,500 miles south of San Francisco, and 1,700 miles east of Sydney, Australia. With 103,000 square miles landmass and two main islands, it's about the size of the state of Colorado. It's also about 10% larger than the United Kingdom. But with a small population of 5 million people, there's plenty of room to roam around. New Zealand is rated as one of the safest countries in the world, with gun crime a rarity. It ranks second in the world in terms of economic freedoms at 84% versus 78% for the United Kingdom and 74% for the United States. China comes in at the bottom of the list at 58% in terms of economic freedoms. Wide open spaces, plenty of land to roam, freedom, low crime, and a moderate climate make New Zealand an ideal country in many ways. Auckland is New Zealand's most populous and prosperous city with a population of 1,650,000 people. The dramatic setting of the city adds to its beauty. Located on a peninsula which arcs northwest from North Island, with the Pacific Ocean to the east and the Tasman Sea to the west, the region is dotted with 48 extinct volcanic cones. To the west of the city are large native rainforests which cascade down hills to the sea onto dramatic black sand beaches. To the east lay golden sand beaches lapped by the Pacific Ocean. To the north lie the rolling hills of the wine country. The climate is subtropical and somewhat Mediterranean, with average summer temperatures of 77 degrees Fahrenheit and moderate winter temperatures in the 50s. Auckland and its environs were originally settled by the Maori in the 1300s, followed by Europeans in the 1800s. The late 20th century saw an increase in Asian immigration, and Auckland is today about 30% Asian heritage. While Auckland's population represents 28% of the national headcount, its economy accounts for 37% of New Zealand's GDP, making it the wealthiest region in the country. With us today is Michael Duggan to tell us what it's like to live in this corner of paradise. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Jim. Very good. What time is it there in New Zealand? 
uh, just coming up four o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon. Okay, very good. It's eight o'clock in the evening, Thursday evening in San Francisco. So we've got a 19 hour time difference between San Francisco and Auckland, New Zealand. So Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. And of course, you're a resident of Auckland and a New Zealander. Give us a little, uh, give us a little bit of background on your biography. Okay, well, I'm 60 years old. I've lived in Auckland for 25 years. My original home is down in the south of the South Island, which is probably a two, two and a half days drive if you were doing that by car, hour and a half by plane. The bottom end of the country, I think that's one of the more southerly cities on the planet and, and pretty not much between Antarctica and, and the southern end and there's something like six metres of rain a year. So that's getting a little bit <laughs> six, killed for most people. Six um, metres of the, six meters of rain, so that's like 15 feet of rain a year? Yeah, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's more than a Fiordland, which is in the Queenstown area, which is really the heart of the tourism area, although Auckland would be the main gateway airport in, in terms of what we used to have, which was visitor arrivals. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, very good. Why don't we launch into the uh, launch into the program and tell us about your life in Auckland? From everything that I've read and the the videos that I've seen of Auckland, it looks like a, a beautiful place, blue skies, very green. What's it like to live in such a paradise? Yeah, no, it's uh, very pleasant listening to all the descriptions you were sharing there. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think we have similar issues and dramas as all other parts of the planet and. Certainly, what you say is true. Very pleasant to live here. Water on both sides, so you can figure out which way the wind's blowing before you choose a harbour to go fishing on. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, travelled around the world a bit, but in terms of quality of life, I'd say would be challenging to beat this. And yeah, we're we're certainly appreciative of the quality of life here. In saying that, as you noted, it is changing. Currently, we're the council and its wisdom is, is seeking to increase the population by another million. And that's probably more a city of road cones and roadworks than anything else at the moment as uh, individual houses are knocked over and replaced by five battery hen type constructions. So, yeah, there's a lot of infill development going on. So the, the days of having a, a backyard and a vegetable garden in the city uh, are very rapidly diminishing. Now tell me, um, again, the country is 103,000 square miles, only 5 million people. It would seem to me that there's an awful lot of land that could be, could be used for housing. And you're saying that the city council of Auckland is looking to increase the population from 1.6 million by another million up to 2.6 million. Yeah. So that that's happening now. Some of that, logic isn't obvious to the people who are expected to pay for it as in the ratepayers. Uh-huh. but yeah that, that's probably the most disappointing element is, is people confusing growth is always positive and, and good and i think that if anything's come out of COVID, it, it's people are being a bit more reflective about how we should shape the the country and and the economy and and discussion moving away well, one of the one of the things that's come out of COVID that we've seen here in San Francisco. So, Michael, coming out of coming out of COVID, here in San Francisco, for instance, 
home prices have skyrocketed. I, they were always always high to begin with, but they've skyrocketed in part because of the COVID lockdowns. And that's happening in a lot of cities in the United States and around the world as people look at their homes and say, well, you know, I can work from home. I can convert part of my home into an office. And I mean, there's a whole host of reasons. And also the expectation of inflation coming down the road and bottlenecks in terms of supplies of uh, lumber, et cetera. So are you experiencing the same thing in the Auckland housing market? Yes, very much so. The, I think the prices have gone up 20% in the last year. I think it's uh, New Zealand dollars was about 1.3 million now. Um, so yeah, then primarily driven by low interest rates would be the main driver, and yeah, a shortage of supply. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, relative to demand. So I think we're uh, similar stories to many other parts of the world. There, Jim. Is there is there any attempt to to take some of that growth that they're targeting? towards Auckland and put it out in some of the other larger cities, Christchurch and the South Island, or some of the other smaller cities on North Island? Not in such a structured way as Australia do it, which I think is a, a little, is, is a smarter model than the one we seem to be using. They encourage people out into the, the back blocks, the outback and, and some of the far-flung regional areas, which do have as over here, you know, challenges of, of population, maintaining their population and services. So, but no, most most new immigrants tend to arrive and stay here. It's the economic hub and, and uh, easy to find work, and but, but equally uh, high rental expenses and, and property costs as well. So in terms of uh, in terms of immigration, say, for instance, someone's listening to this, someone's listening to this podcast and they're thinking, gee, I'd like to I'd like to consider immigrating to to New Zealand. How do, how does one go about emigrating to New Zealand? Do you have do you have a point system? Do you have to have certain skills? How does that work? I believe there's websites. Well, never having done it myself, I'll, uh, I'll have a stab on what it involves. Um, some of the immigration is, is to offset some of the net losses we have. New Zealanders are typically well-travelled and, and a common part of our life is, is often post-university. You might go and work offshore as, as we did for two or three years and come back. All my three children have, have followed that same path and I think there's maybe a quarter of the country working offshore at, at any one time. That would be true of my brother and lives out of Australia and works in a rig up in Thailand somewhere. So, that yeah, there's a, quite a, a mobile population. But yeah, probably my personal view is we don't value our, nas- our passports highly enough. And what successive governments have done over the last few years is to spur economic activity have opened up immigration. I think with, with this COVID area here, the era, some of the low-skilled immigration has has well it's all been curtailed and moving forward they're going towards a higher skill model than in, in the past and yeah trying to drive up you know not seeing as such as a low wage economy wages typically 20 30 percent less than you would get in australia oh really um, that much yeah and mm-hmm. but there is yeah you're right there is a point system there's, there's some elements of sponsorship that and skill shortages at the moment they seem to be vet veterinarians and some IT skills are, are recruited internationally. At the moment, uh, there's huge job shortages because the tap of work visas and tourist visas 
and foreign language schools masquerading as foreign lang- foreign language schools where they're really just sort of it's some backdoor immigration elements to that that have been uh, tightened up so uh-huh. I, I, the the standards are being tightened and um but it, it's still been reasonably permissive uh-huh. i believe uh, relative to many other countries over the last 15, 20 years. Let's talk about COVID because New Zealand seemed to get on top of the COVID pandemic very quickly. You were back to normal long before the rest of the world seemed to be back to normal. How, How were you able to do that? So, Michael, we were talking about COVID and New Zealand was famously very successful in conquering the pandemic very early on and you got back to normal pretty quickly. How was New, New Zealand able to be so successful in that regard? And of course, here in the United States, it dragged on for months and months. Yeah, well, probably uh, geographically isolation. Geographic isolation is a, it can be uh, an advantage during a pandemic. I think we got up to 100 plus active cases, which was by not shutting the borders early enough. I, I understand that our pandemic planning didn't seem to involve turning off international flights straight away as you I thought it uh, probably should have so yeah the the geographic isolation is is helpful and it got jumped on reasonably quickly and I think most people complied with the instruction to stay at home Mm -hmm. and maybe we're more compliant than other and it wasn't probably, it's starting to get politicised now, but it, it certainly isn't as politicised as it is in either the, you know, the States or the UK. And it's interesting watching the two biggest, two big economies, democratic organisations are the ones that are struggling to cope with it. But uh, I think it's almost too early to suggest it's been successful. Some would say we're still only halfway through it. Yeah, we haven't got a lot of vaccines down here yet because we've, we were seen to be not urgent need of them. The flow of vaccinations are only really, there's about 700,000 have had a vaccination out of the 5 million so far, a smaller number with two vaccinations. And, I see. But I think the, the, they're all starting to roll out here uh-huh. in Australia for the next, quite heavily now, a million a week. So the, the target is to have everybody done by end of this calendar year and they're just focusing on the quarantine facilities the airports and the port workers and the health workers all get first priority so Mm -hmm. i'd say scale and geographic isolation and would would count for most of our success and what about uh, what about with masks because masks were a big hot button issue here in the united states and also to a certain extent in the uk did new zealanders go along with wearing masks okay or was the pushback yeah, no, no, no such similar pushback here. I think the the, the, the messaging was was simpler, clearer, and less less politicised. Yeah, well, that that makes sense. Now, let's talk about the economy because, as you were saying, with the with the growth in with the growth in your population, and more immigration, where what are the hottest parts of the economy in, in New Zealand and of course in uh, in Auckland specifically? Is it IT? Is it financial services? I always think of forest products as being a, a big area for for New Zealand, and of course there's there's also New Zealand wine, which is popular here in the states. So what what parts of the economy are are doing really well? Yeah, it's very. Uh geographically based as, as you would imagine the agricultural sector is the biggest from an export earning percentage with dairy 
sheep and meat and forestry, as you mentioned. Our forestry industry here is actually based on a Californian tree called Monterey Pine. Oh, of course. And yeah. that was some scraggy tree over California that seemed to do all right here. <laughs> it's, it's a very fast-growing pine tree for, uh, for my listeners who may not be familiar with the Monterey uh, genus, but nice to know that we were able to export that to uh, New Zealand. Yeah, I'm not sure there was any royalty payments involved, uh, <laughs> nor, nor was there to the Chinese for their uh, kiwi fruit, which we appropriated and rebranded. So, oh. yeah, it's historically a extractive industries initially in terms of mining and native forest clearance, and that was replaced with primarily agriculture in, in the South Island and, and rural areas naturally. Auckland itself is is the head offices, while Wellington's the capital, all the head offices of New Zealand companies are based here. Yeah, IT, financial services, the services part of the economy in Auckland with a little bit of, with, with some manufacturing capability. In, in many respects, I see New Zealand as a bit of a lifestyle block. I don't think we're trying to be a global city and we would be deluded if we sought to be. The, the IT area, I think it can be quite responsive and a lot of development projects are often trialled here because it's quite a highly digitised economy. We're in the overnight zone for any work that might need to be worked on overnight out of the States with sort of virtual global teams. So that's becoming, a, that that's probably the big growth area in the Auckland economy is the technology sector. What about the tourist industry? Because what are, first of all, is New Zealand open for business? Can can foreign flights go into New Zealand at this point? Or I read about a bubble between Australia and New Zealand. I'm not even sure that we've resumed flights from the United States to New Zealand. Do you know, Michael? No, there's been the odd repatriation flights. There's air freights running. But like my own daughter, she works for the NHS in London. She came home. She's fully vaccinated. She was back home a couple of months ago. So you have to book two weeks in, in quarantine, whether you're vaccinated or not. And then you pay to stay in a converted hotel for two weeks. And then you can she had her three-week holiday after that. The bubble with Australia is sporadic. It sort of opens and closes every three or four days. Australia has had several outbreaks. So as soon as there's an outbreak, the, the flights stop. It's, it's so we're largely isolated again with a couple of avenues into the Pacific Island, many of which are serviced out of Auckland. I see. And just coming back, coming back to the housing situation there in in Auckland, again, like San Francisco, it sounds as though you have a very a very high cost of housing, and it sounds are, are residents are residents opposed to future growth? I mean, obviously, nobody wants to give up a single family home and, you know, have a, a five story apartment there. But what's what's the politics of development like there? Is it more? Is it more accommodating to growth? Or is it anti growth as it is here in San Francisco? It, well, my generation and, and tenure here, I'd say it's, it's more anti growth for the sake of growth, just within my children's timeframes, you know, the, the ability to own and afford your own home versus becoming a, a renter of, of a home. You know, the, the dream of home ownership and, and the percentage of home ownership is 
is decreasing. So increasingly the class segregation, if you like, is along the lines of propertied and unpropertied members of society. And and I don't think that's a, a positive thing. It, it disconnects communities in terms of, you know, rent escalations and families moving around disrupts all the education. And uh, so I, I think that's certainly retrograde when we had some of the highest home ownership rates in the world uh-huh. up around the mid, mid-70s. Been, they've been progressively falling. And, you know, that that creates societal challenges now and going forward. And, mm-hmm. and certainly the infill housing isn't popular because the, you know, these, these multi-units will only have one car park and then the narrower streets are all clogged and the, the infrastructure can't support the million people. Uh-huh. And in terms of the politics, they've, between the, the national government, the, the Wellington-based we have a national party, which is different to a, a national government, if of you course. follow me. Really a, a conspiracy between the council and the national government to uh, jam more people in. And some would say that's to prop up uh, you know, the, the demographic bubble, which sees the baby boomers, which includes myself, retiring in yes. five years or so. And then needing uh, workforce, more productive hand- workforce to actually pay for our superannuation and medical costs. Absolutely. So, so- that's... That's probably one of the drivers, but yeah, it's created some rather perverse outcomes along the way. You you don't get asked if you want infill development or housing. It, it's, it's really just forced upon you. That's right. Tell me, what uh, in terms of uh, spare time pursuits, I understand sailing is uh, very popular there. You mentioned that rugby isn't as popular as it used to be. What in our closing few minutes left in our podcast today, tell me what, what do you do in your spare time? How do you, uh, how do you take advantage of the, you know, the beautiful countryside of, of New Zealand and the ocean and... Yeah, well, certainly uh, in the summer, there's a I have a hill property which takes some time to uh, drive around on my mower. But when I'm free of that, then there's there's beaches five minutes away. I can look at the harbour and and see what the conditions are like, and if anyone's on my spot, and <laughs> pop down there and be fishing in five minutes. And um, yeah, it's, it's fishing, cricket, other other sporting activities, internal travel is is reasonably cost-effective, and that's what a lot of New Zealanders have been using the last sort of 18 months to uh, get to know their own country and go on the walks. But yeah, if anybody does intend to come here, I'd recommend probably Airbnb-type accommodation as opposed to the less personal hotel chains. Mm -hmm. We actually get to meet some of the inhabitants as opposed to the, the some of the mass tourism. The, the real stunning landscapes are, are, are down in, in the deep south with the big deep fjords with, with a island marine-based recreation the, the further north you get from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, though, that's sort of how I fill in my little spare time. I, Michael, I want to thank you very much for, for joining us today and giving us an insider's view of life in Auckland and life in New Zealand. Many of my listeners, they're in 60-odd different countries, would be fascinated by, by your take, Auckland, New Zealand. And I want to thank you very much for, for joining in. And by the way, listeners, Michael and I are distant, uh, distant cousins. We recently, recently discovered that. Thank you very much, cousin, for participating in this first, uh, first episode. Anytime. Cheers, okay. Jeff. Thank you. And for my listeners... Please take a moment to visit our website, www.thesanfranciscoexperiencepodcast.com, and subscribe. It's free to do so, and by subscribing, all future episodes will come to your inbox. 
You can also listen to all 170 episodes, peruse my blog, read my book, send me an email, or make a comment. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.